So it's New Year's Eve. Been there, done that. You know. I don't make New, Re- New Year's resolutions because... But some of you did, are making New Year's resolutions this year. <laughs> okay. You know, New Year's is a great time to sell exercise equipment. <laughs> Gym memberships, weight loss programs, because people think it's a new year and it is a time for a new beginning. February, those things don't sell so well. <laughs> Maybe two weeks into January. Uh, because people start saying, you know, nothing ever changes. Tried to change, failed, not going through that again. In Jesus, all things are made new. All things are made new in Christ. And the ability to be made new is there. Today we're looking at 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. Behold, new things have come. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Interesting thing as we look at this, it is Jesus who tells us. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Uh, We need to participate with him to bring that newness out. Until we participate, the new doesn't come out. Okay, We're going to look at that today. We're going to look at that passage, 2 Corinthians 5.17, so I hope you've turned there. And then we're going to look at some examples in the New Testament of people who demonstrate, four very different people in very different situations, who demonstrate the new life, the new creature that Christ makes us. So first, 2 Corinthians 5.17 Uh, I'll read it this time instead of try to say it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. So first of all, when we start talking about what does it mean to be a new creature? If we are in Christ, if you are in Christ, you are a new creature. What does that mean? Well, it it has, it it means a lot. Uh, Let me start with that. First of all, it means we are new heavenly creatures. We used to not be heavenly creatures, and now all of a sudden we are heavenly creatures. Without our glorified bodies, you know, without the, the perfect, painless uh, epitome of what you're supposed to be, and I know you have, I should say I know you have, some of you have that image in your head. Some of you think you're there already. <laughs> but you get a little older and you lose that. <laughs> you know, your body, when you behold, if anyone is in Christ, is a new creature. But creation, but his bo- your body isn't suddenly remade. You, you, you get up in the morning, you got that same body you had the day before, and it's still aging, and it still can get injured, and it still can have bad things happen to it. You not suddenly have a new IQ. You wake up in the morning, you say, "Oh, wow, I should have become a Christian a long time ago. Everything makes sense now." Uh, it, it it doesn't work like that. You don't even get a new personality. I, I thought about, my, my sister had a friend growing up in, in, in our mid-teenage years named Vicky, right? Vicky, Vicky was a friend of hers, and she was kind of a fixture around our house for like three years or so. And, uh, you know, then life moves on, and you don't see or think about her again. And, and at one point, she moved out north of Reardon somewhere, and she doesn't, I don't think she lives there anymore. But, but uh, my sister... Uh, put me in contact with her a little bit because Vicki had, back, this was back when I was writing my articles in the Davenport Times, 
And Vicky had been reading one of those articles and said, that sounds like Steve. And then she looked at the picture and goes, saw my name. She goes, that is Steve. I'm going, how did she know that was me? Something I wrote 25 years after she knew me and she read it and heard me in. And I'm going, you've got to be kidding me. But she did. I'm going, you know, so, so as much as I want to say I changed completely in those 25 years, she knew me. <laughs> she recognized me. She, she just said, that sounds like him. Uh, my personality is what it was. Your personality, whatever Jesus Christ has done in you, he hasn't changed you from being you. And sometimes you might say, man, I wish he would. Uh, but but he, ha- he didn't, that's, that's not part of what it means. It's one of the things that, that gives me hope for heaven. It's like, because if God made us, uh, I mean, there, there's a, there's a, it helps me understand my definition of perfection. Because somehow I will be perfect, but still be me. <laughs> Does that, does anyone else have a problem with that? It's like, you go, wait a minute, but if I'm perfect, how can I have this me, me, but, but I'll still be me in heaven. I, I, he, he can do that. It's part of what he does. Uh, and yet you are new. You are now spiritually alive where you were not. You have been born again. Something was not and now is. Uh, without physical change, you are a new creature, cr- creation. But I don't think that's remotely everything this passage is teaching. That's the starting point. That's the easy side, the heavenly new you, because you are an earthly new you as well. We are changed here and now. 516, when I say this, so this is 517 that we looked at, but I'm going to look at a few more verses. Uh, We are changed in the here and now. Let me go backwards in 2 Corinthians 15. Um, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, starting at verse 15. And he died for us all, so that those who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one by the flesh, even though we have known Christ by the flesh, yet we now know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to him through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their wrongdoings against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, let's look at 5.16. We have a new beginning. He says, we don't recognize you according to the flesh. It doesn't mean, man, you look different. He's saying, I'm not based judging you. I'm not thinking of you. I'm not evaluating you based on what you've done. I'm not evaluating you based on the fleshly you, but on the spiritual you. We all have a testimony, right? Knut sang a song of his testimony. He got up one morning and he, 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 he made a prayer, right? Uh, it, it, it is a change. Something happened. He doesn't, def- what, we, what you did before Christ does not define you here and now. What you did before does not define you here and now. I want to share with you a little bit of Paul's own testimony from taken from the book of 1 Timothy. And Paul could be one of the examples I'm going to today, but I'm not because uh, I'm getting just a little bit here and, and his story is, is well known. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. Paul is writing about himself. 
helps if I turn to 1 Timothy instead of 1 Thessalonians. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. So he's thanking God that he put him into service, found him faithful enough to put into service. Even though I was previously, this is Paul according to the flesh, a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. He says, I was a, a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was, I was a, um, a violent aggressor. Paul says, I was a bad man. I went after the church. I was the enemy of the church. I was the leader of the enemies of the church. He's, he's, he's presenting himself in truth. When he says they're uh, the chief of sinners, he's not lying. He's not, he's not saying, saying, you know, this is a picture as if I was. He's saying, man, that was me. I was the baddest of the bad, the worst of the worst. I was, I was exactly opposed to God. He says, that was me, but he saw me. Uh, he saw faith in me. He changed me. I am not who I used to be. And then we get to verse 17. Uh, now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And what did that mean for him that he turned and praised God? Right. It's all what God did for him. God did this for him. He did not do it. God did it. God took him. And yet we find it starts with, with that phrase, because he found me faithful. And you go, so who is the credit? We talked about this in Sunday school. Things that look like they're contradictory, and yet they work together. Uh, Paul was faithful. God saw his faithfulness, and God did all these things. Who gets the credit, Paul or God? Well, God gets the credit, but that doesn't mean what Paul did wasn't important. He was faithful, and it was found in him. What, what, what this is saying, it says, we don't recognize someone according to the flesh, is that your past does not define you. Especially, uh, yeah, I, I think about this in politics, and a politician, you know, if you did something, if you did something bad sometime distant in your past, it can come out. And the person, imagine, imagine you are a politician who came to Christ. And, and someone says, yeah, you did all that. He just stands there, yeah, I, I did that stuff. Uh, I, that was, that was who I used to be. I'm not that guy anymore. Well, what changed? Jesus changed me, right? It's, it's very simple. It's forward. And everybody who understands that can accept that and say, yeah, I understand that. Jesus Christ changed you. You were a bad guy. Now you are a good guy. But the person who doesn't know Jesus Christ, he has to deny he ever did that bad thing because it is part of him continually and he can't live it down or change anything. If he finds that bad thing in your past, then, then he has ammo to use against you forever. I, sorry, this is, you know, some things that I think of as, as common, ordinary things uh, maybe resonate here. But, I mean, resonate with people of my age group, but not so much with others. But I think of a particular president we had in the past who said, I smoked, but I did not inhale. Speaking of marijuana, and I'm thinking, 
why not just say you did, but you don't anymore? <laughs> it's like, but I did not inhale? I'm sorry. That means, that, that, what is that supposed to do to my opinion of you? How is that supposed to change anything? Uh, it's, it's like it doesn't, it doesn't compute. But to say, I did that in my past, but I am not that guy anymore, that makes sense to me. That's what Jesus Christ does for us. And everyone who's had that done for them understands it. We're not who we used to be. Our past does not define us. Therefore, I do not recognize anyone according to the flesh. Uh, he's saying you're, by, by that fleshly you that was there, that's not what we see. You know, there are many of us who have a past that we just assume people didn't know about, right? Unless you're me who flaunts it all the time. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we, and, and believe me, there's things you don't know about me. But, uh, but we, we have a past that we just assume people not know about. But sometimes it's like we're shocked because we go, I, I, how come you, see, I'm a tree killer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, it's like people, people see you as you are and think somehow you've always been that way. You've always been this good person. You've always been nice. You've always been generous. You've always been... Uh, avoiding sins and temptations, and they think that, they don't understand that, that, that because all they see is the new you because he has changed you. And you are a living testimony to the truth of what this says. Because frankly, that however many years you had before you came to Christ, and I know we have, have several who came to Christ as small children, and praise God for that, that they don't have the, the testimony of before and after like so many of us have, but but the... The before does not define the after. It's just simply that true. But then we look at what else he has. Look at verse 15, 2 Corinthians 5, 15. And he died for us all so that those who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose on their behalf. We have a new purpose. Once upon a time, our purpose, my purpose was to live for me. And I know there's an awful lot that's still in me. I'm not going to pretend it's not, but I have a new purpose. It is to live for him. And when I say I, it's not something that you say, yes, I see what that says. From now on, the pastor has a new purpose, uh, but to live for him who died. No, it's, it's for all of us. All, each and every one of us has a new purpose to not live for ourselves anymore, but to live for him. It is a big mistake to think that if you have Christ, it is his job to make you succeed in life. Uh, if you have Christ, it is his job now to make everything good for you always and only. Uh, it, it, it is a mistake that people make that somehow this is, this is uh, the whole success in life kind of thinking, that, that Jesus is supposed to make me succeed in business and in love and in life and, and, and in, in athletics. It's that because I'm a Christian, I'm supposed to succeed in all these things because Jesus does that for me. It's his job to live for me. <laughs> and people promote that teaching, and it is exactly backwards and opposite and wrong. Our job is to live for him. We have a new purpose. That's the appeal of the prosperity gospel. Find Jesus and you will succeed. And, and it's a big reason, I think, why many people out there, you will run across, if you haven't yet, you will, and maybe you've run across them and not know it, but people will say, well, yeah, I tried that Christianity thing. I tried Christ, and it didn't work. It didn't work what? It didn't work for you. Jesus didn't jump on board with your plan for your life. He says, I have a better plan. 
You need to jump on board with me. Your life will work. I work for, Jesus works for everybody. But they have to get in tune with what he wants. And, and, and people get that wrong. Here and now, we have a new purpose. Verses 18 through 20, still in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. So that's what Jesus did on the, did on the cross to reconcile us, to make the records agree. And, and, and our records now agree with God's records that we are perfect because he made us perfect. He took that sin that was in our account and he wiped it out and made us perfect. He did that with that blood that we shared about, with the body that he gave. He, he did that by that price he paid. He made us perfect. He reconciled us to God. And then he gave us a job. He says, as you have been reconciled to God, now bring others to that reconciliation. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What is our message? Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their wrongdoings against them, and he has committed to us the, the, the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to him, to God. We have a purpose. We bring others to God for that same message of reconciliation, of being right with God, of being at peace with God that, that happened for us. And, and, and we need the first thing we need to do is grasp that we are new creatures with a new purpose. Old things have passed away. You are not bound by the old things. Now, I want you to get it. All the examples I have here are people who come to Christ because they're, they're, they're well, mostly coming out of the Gospels. One is out of Acts. But they're all people that come to Christ, and as we co they come to Christ, we see their lives change. But this isn't a message only for new believers. If it was, it would probably be a wasted message for most of you, because you've been walking with Christ for a while. But a lot of Christians walk around thinking they still are trapped by their past, and you are not. You are not trapped by your past. You are freed by Christ. Okay. Uh, old things have passed away. All things have become new. You. So be new. Be new. You cannot, your, your past cannot stop you unless you let it. If you say, no, no, my past, I've got this in my past, I've got that in my past, I, I can't do anything about that. If you let it stop you, then you're stopped. But if you say, I'm not going to let it stop you, then, then it, it won't. That was the old you. You are made new. So let's look at some examples. I want to start with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is fun. John chapter 3. This is the guy that had the whole you must be born again thing thrown at him. And, and what I like, one of the things I like about Nicodemus and the reason I decided to start with him is because first we have theory and then we have practice. And we get the theory in chapter 3, but we don't get the practice for several chapters later. And, and he's got problems with the theory. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus at night. Okay, hang on to that. He came at night uh, and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus responded and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So he comes along and says, Hey, you know what, Jesus? You're pretty impressive. No one can do what you do unless he's from God. Jesus says, You know what? You've got to be born again. 
Now, by the way, we've all heard that phrase. <laughs> we've, we, we've heard it at various times and things in our lives, and we're kind of used to the phrase. But, but Jesus is the first one to ever say this. And Nicodemus is the first one to ever hear it. And he goes, what? I mean, that, that's, that's Steve's par, uh, redneck translation. But, but he, Nicodemus said to him, how can a person be born when he's old? He cannot enter his mother's womb a second time and be born, can he? Jesus answered and said, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which was born of the flesh is flesh, and that which was born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it is coming from and where it is going. So is everyone who has been born in the Spirit. And Nicodemus responded and said to him, how can these things be? See, Jesus has just thrown at Nicodemus truth, but right now for Nicodemus, that truth is theory. It's like, I don't get it. You're saying these words to me, and they're not making sense to me. If, you don't have a, if you're having a hard time understanding this, think back to the first algebra class you went to. <laughs> a plus B equals what? <laughs> this doesn't make sense. And eventually, you start learning it, and it starts making sense, or it never did. <laughs> but but, but that's, what, that's Nicodemus. This is all brand new to him. And, and, and this develops into John 3.16 and, and everything that goes with that. But, but Nicodemus is left behind. He's left behind. This is the last we have in Nicodemus. Jesus, uh, Nicodemus, Nicodemus saying, how can these things be? And he's lost with this theory that he's got. And if that's all we had, I wouldn't be using Nicodemus as an example. But uh, we move on to John chapter 7. In John chapter 7, the Pharisees have sent some, some guards to go arrest Jesus, and the guards have come back without Jesus. And the Pharisees say, why'd you come back without Jesus? And they go, man, no, they're impressed. They don't know what to do with Jesus. They say, nobody ever talked like this guy. We don't know how to, how to arrest him. We don't know what to do, right? John chapter 7, starting at verse 47. The Pharisees then reply... Uh, Let's see, I'll start at 45. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, never has a man spoken in this way. The Pharisees replied to them, you have not been led astray too, have you? Not one of the rulers or Pharisees has believed in him, has he? Now, they're saying this, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. So Nicodemus, if nothing else, has not come out and made a public stand at this point. Maybe he's done more. We don't know for sure what he's done, but he is not known publicly for a stand for Christ yet. Uh, verse 49, but this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, verse 50, the one who came to him before being one of them said to them, our law does not judge the person unless it first hears from him and knows what he's doing, does it? And they answered and said to him, you are not from Galilee as well, are you? Examine the scriptures and see that no prophet arises from Galilee and everyone went home. So Nicodemus, what do we find Nicodemus doing here? He's going, uh, he, he may be, at this point, a secret believer and trying to secretly stand for Christ or quietly stand for Christ, or he may just simply be recognizing something. These guys are not living up to their billing. They, they claim to be standing for the truth, but they're not doing it truthfully. If you have to stand for the truth in an untruthful way, that something in your brain should, should lock, click in there and go, this isn't right. And Nicodemus, at the very least, is it's clicking, and he's saying, this isn't right. And he's, he's walking through the struggle. At a minimum, he is uncomfortable with how the Pharisees are acting. Uh, his statement is honest. He seems to be looking for honesty, 
And he may be a follower of Christ in this, this point, or it may be a step in bringing him to an ultimate decision. It may be a step recognizing, you know what? Jesus, these guys who are teaching the truth are not, but Jesus seems to be the real deal. And he may be making that step. I don't know. But when we get next, we next see Nicodemus, the last time we see Nicodemus is in chapter 19, and we are we see courageous faith. Not, not quiet faith, not hidden faith, not maybe faith, but courageous faith. John chapter 19, verses 38 through 42. Jesus has died on the cross. He's hanging on the cross. Dead. Now, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for, Philip the, for fear of the Jews, requested of Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 uh, liters weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen. So I, And it really it points out specifically, Nicodemus, who first came to him by night, in private, where nobody knew, is now coming out in public in the daytime and taking down the body of Christ. And I say in the daytime because he has to be buried before sundown uh, because of the, the Jewish law. And so he's got to get it done while it's still day. And he's showing courageous faith at personal expense, right? He bought those spices and perfumes. I don't know what a 100 liters weight of spices and perfumes cost, but I don't think this was cheap stuff, right? He spent a lot of personal money, and he risked his entire, all his prestige, his social standing. He put all of that at risk. Uh, Jesus' closest followers, where are they? Right? We, John was there at the cross. Where are the others? Judas is dead. That still leaves 10. Where are they? These two guys who've been not known for Christ come out at a time when Jesus is dead, when he's defeated and all his followers are hiding, and they come out in public and, and at personal risk and expense, take him down and take his body, and they anoint him. What's going on? Nicodemus is a new person, right? In his case, we find a whole gospel worth of transition, right? From the beginning of John chapter in chapter 3 to almost the end of John in chapter 19, Nicodemus is going through this transition. But we find that at the end, he's not who he was at the beginning. He, something is different with this guy. And, and, I, and I, you know, one of the things I like about Nicodemus is that it allowed time. It allowed, to, not all of us, not everybody comes to, just goes bang and wow. One day I was this horrible sinner, and the next day, wow, I'm a super saint, you know? Uh, we, it, it, Nicodemus had time. He is a new creature going from confusion to certainty, from hiding to public faith, from theory to practice. Nicodemus. So let's move on to John chapter 8. The woman caught in adultery. This was our scripture reading. Okay. Nicodemus was a story of going from theory to practice. The woman caught in adultery is a, a, an example of expected change. It is a given when Jesus does what he does that he expects her to change her behavior, not to be after the story what she was at the beginning of the story. She was a guilty sinner, right? 
Now the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in the act of adultery, and after placing her in the center of the courtyard, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the very act of committing adultery. She is guilty. Now, forget, forget merely guilty at a moment. Imagine the shame this woman felt. I mean, any woman caught in this is going to feel, especially public, by the religious, righteous hierarchy, and then she's dragged out and put on display in front of a man that everybody acknowledges is righteous. And they say, what are you going to do with her? And just forget them, forget Jesus. Think about this woman. And she is feeling utter shame. She's not bold. She's not arrogant. She's not saying, I don't care what you think of me. She's before them, speechless. No words from her until Jesus finally asks her a question at the end. She doesn't say anything. She doesn't try to. She, she has nothing. Utter shame is her situation. She has no defense. And then without denying her guilt, Jesus doesn't. That's so important to recognize. Jesus does not deny her guilt. He does not say, oh, it doesn't matter. What, you're done, what you've done doesn't matter. But, but without denying her guilt, he, he protects her from her accusers. And, and, and of course, there's that million-dollar question, what did Jesus write in the ground? And we're not going to go there because that's not our point. We don't have time for that. <laughs> but, but he wrote something on the ground, and he said, let him without sin cast the first stone. And one by one, these guys go away, oldest to youngest. And, and finally, they're all gone. And Jesus says, where are your accusers? And she finally speaks. She says, they're, they're not here. He says, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. And there's an expected change. Now, we don't know what she did. We don't know. She may have gone home and said, oh, I got away with that. Can't wait to do that again. <laughs> I don't think so. I think, I think she did change. But there, Jesus expects a change. He, he just says, you must change. So let's move on. One chapter, John chapter 9, the man born blind. I like this one. I call this saved with attitude. <laughs> this guy this guy is so much fun. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents? He would be born blind. Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents. It was that the works of God might be displayed in him. He spit in the mud. He gave, wiped it in the guy's eyes. He said, go wash in the pool of Siloam, come back. So the guy goes, he washes in the pool of Siloam. He comes back and he's seeing, right? And, 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 and at this point, what we find is he's given sight, right? He, Jesus does a mighty work in him. He is given sight. And then we start seeing growth in this guy from ignorance to faith. He, is, he starts out this story, he's ignorant of who Jesus is. Uh, he ends the story boldly standing in faith. Chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. He answered, right? They ask him, what's going on? How did your eyes get healed? How come you can see? He answered, the man who is called Jesus made mud. You know, that one guy, that Jesus guy, he made mud, he put on my eyes, told me to go wash, I came back and I can see. Uh, go to Siloam and wash, so when I wash, I received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? He says, I don't know. How would I know? I was blind. <laughs> he went away, I went this way, he went wherever way he went, maybe followed me. I don't know. I don't know. This guy, his name was Jesus, I know that much. That seems to be the only thing this guy knows about Jesus at this point. His name is Jesus. 
Uh, he doesn't know anything else, but Jesus healed him, gave him sight. Verses 16 and 17, they're still bugging him. They say, therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man was not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath, because it happened to be Sabbath, the day that he healed his sight. But others were saying, how can a man who's a sinner perform such signs among them? And there was dissension among them. So they said again to the man who was blind, what do you say about him? Since he opened your eyes and he said, he's a prophet. Right? First, he says, he's the, uh, the man Jesus. Now he says, you may, I'm going to make a decision about, okay, he's, he, he's got to be a prophet. He's a prophet. Uh, verses 24 to 25, they're not done. They keep working over him. So for a second time, they summoned the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, says, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. So they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, you do not listen. Do you want to become his disciples as well? See, how far did I go with that one? I just did 24 and 25. <laughs> uh, whether he was blind, now I see, he says, I don't know if he's a sinner. I, said, I don't know if he's, they say, this man's a sinner. Give glory to God. He says, I don't know if he's a sinner. I know this. He gave me sight. I can see. Verses 30 to 33, they're still pushing him. The man answered and said to them, well, here's an amazing thing, right? Verse, verse 29, they say, we know that God has spoken through Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, this is his attitude coming out. Well, here's the amazing thing that you do not know where he's from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if someone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him, right? Jesus says, you don't know him? You don't know if he's from God? Let me tell you something. He did what God said only God can do. Therefore, he's from God, and he's taking a stand. He says, he is from God. And they're still not done. They kick him out of the church, and Jesus comes to talk with him. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had put him out, and upon finding him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered by saying, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and he is the one who is speaking to you. And he said, I believe, Lord, and he worshiped him. And so we see this man who, who apparently, in the course of just a couple of hours, I mean, I don't know how long, maybe it took days, but, but just reading it, this could very easily have been one day. Uh, that, that all of this took place, uh, maybe a couple of hours kind of thing. And he went from a, a blind man, ignorant of Christ, to a man lecturing religious leaders and falling down and believing in Jesus and worshiping him. And we see, see this progression in faith. Uh, he went from complete ignorance, not just to faith, but to courageous faith, to fearless faith faith. I don't care. You guys are going to kick me out of the synagogue? Why could I possibly care that you, a bunch of pretenders, are going to kick me out of a synagogue when I have Jesus Christ? Why would I, why would I even care about that? Something important to notice about this man is that the challenges that he went through produced the growth in his faith. And, 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 and they didn't have to. They didn't have to. But they did because he would not let go of what Jesus had done for him. And because that was true, he held on tightly to Jesus. And because he held on to Jesus in spite of those challenges, he grew and he progressed. Finally, the Philippian jailer, John, uh, Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in Philippi. They're preaching the gospel of uh, cast a demon out of a girl. Uh, she was making profit for uh, her master by her demonic talents. They get beaten and thrown in jail. Getting beaten is an important part of this. 
Verse 22, Acts chapter 16, the crowd joined in an attack against them, and the chief magistrates, meaning the big official judges, tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Right Now, the jailers who we're looking at specifically here, uh, he went from opponent to ally. But he wasn't an actual opponent in the sense of he wanted to hurt these guys. He's just doing his job. He's not the one who had them beaten. He's not the one that had their robes ripped off. He's not the one who, who brought them in, arrested them, and con convicted them, and, and sentenced them. He's the one who is, they're handed over to him. Uh, it, it, he's, just, he's just that point. And, and at this point, he may have been and probably was completely indifferent about Paul and Silas. What do these guys matter to him? He's busy doing his job. They're out there doing their thing. He's not out there. He's, he's here in the office. He's not aware of any of those things, but what he does know is that the magistrates are really ticked at these guys, right? They have treated these guys really badly. So, so while he himself is indifferent, uh, when the circumstances put them in their hands, they see how they're treating, he puts them in the inner prison and in the stocks. Now understand, there was an outer prison. If there is an inner prison, there was an outer prison. The outer prison had airflow. The outer prison, uh, and, and nobody knows for sure exactly what this was like because different prisons were built a little bit differently, but, but the outer prison is near the offices, and, and, and it would have done at it perfectly fine. It was jail. It, they still had bars. They still had locks. They, you, know, you could be put in there, uh, and, and you wouldn't get away, right? That was, but that's called the inner prison. But he didn't put them in the inner prison. He, outer prison. Inner, he didn't put them in the nice one. <laughs> He put them in the inner prison, which would correspond more, may, may or may not have been a dungeon, but would correspond to your vision of a dungeon. No light, no airflow. And then he put them in stocks. He didn't have to do any of that. He did that because he saw how angry the magistrates were with him. He, but he didn't have a personal dislike for these guys. He didn't know them. He didn't care. They, he, was, he was indifferent to them, that part. He didn't have to treat them the way he did, but he did. He probably didn't care about Paul and Silas. He's just pleasing his boss. It's not personal, right? But all of a sudden, it becomes very personal because God sends an earthquake. You know, they sing praises. God sends an earthquake. The bars break break off. The stocks are busted open. The, the, the doors busted wide. The jailer comes in. He assumes people have got away. He's about to kill himself. And Paul says, stop, buddy. Don't do that. But Paul called out with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer asked for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of God to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and was overjoyed since he had become a believer in God together with his whole household. Within the hour, he went from a guy who was persecuting them, who had them in prison and in stocks, in the dark part of the prison and in stocks, and he brought them out to home. He washed their wounds. He's rejoicing because he has, is able to feed them, and he probably feels tremendously honored to have these men eating at his house uh, in, in, in one evening, in one hour. And all of a sudden, he has no remote concern about pleasing the magistrates. 
Those same guys, he says, oh, you guys are angry? I'm going to put them in stocks. I'll put them in the bottom of the prison, right? I'm going to, put them, I'm going to treat them so bad. And now he says, he, he, he's not even, those guys, I don't think they enter, I don't, someplace over the night, he probably went, huh, I guess they won't like this. <laughs> it certainly did not change his actions. He brought them into his house. He, he washed their wounds. He, he, I imagine he had his wife wash their wounds. I mean, guys, uh, any of you good at that? Your wife better, right? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. 180 degree turnabout in this man's life is really shocking. It's surprising. It's, it's quick. People must have wondered what happened to him, right? The next day, people had to see a change in this man. The magistrates, when they found out what he had done, they had to go, really? You know, in order to be the head jailer, he probably was a retired military man. He was a man used to discipline, used to authority, used to, you know, go the structure and all that stuff. And all of a sudden, he just threw all that out the window to treat this prisoner. Everybody had to look at that and go, what? What? I've, I've known this guy for years. I've known him for decades. He's never done anything like that before. What is going on with him? And I suspect he was glad to tell them. Well, here's what happened. And tell him the whole story. Uh, and, and tell him, you can come to Christ too. One day he opposed Christians, and the next day he served them. Or I shouldn't say one. I, I said one day, you could go one hour and the next hour. So what's our conclusion here? First of all, Jesus changes lives. Jesus changes lives. Let your life be changed. Let your life be different from what it was, not what it used to be. Jesus does the change, but we have to cooperate with him. We have to allow him to do it. Uh, when you are presented, the blind man. The blind man faced his first challenge. He's come back. Who did this? Jesus. Put mud on my eyes. He's gone. Where is he? I don't know. Could have left it there. They come back and he, they say, who do you say he is? He says, well, he's a prophet. He didn't have to say that. He knew that these people were opposed to Jesus. That was really obvious. It was the most obvious thing in the world. These people did not like Jesus. He could have easily said, you know what? I don't know. I, I, I don't have an answer for you. You ask somebody who knows. He could have dodged that, but he didn't. He accepted the challenge to be faithful. And because he accepted the challenge to be faithful, he grew. And he became the new man that he, he didn't have to be. Too often, we don't become what Jesus wants us to be because we won't become what Jesus wants us to be. And he's the one who does the change, but we have to accept that. We have to allow it to happen in our lives. Uh, you may be exactly who Jesus wants you to be, and you may be not. You may be falling short. Nicodemus could have been stopped in his confusion. He's walking. I've, I've known people who do that. They, they just walk around in their confusion. They, ne, they choose never to go beyond their confusion. I've known people like that. The woman could have gone and sinned some more. I've known people like that. The blind man could have shrank from the conflict. The jailer could have locked Paul and Silas back up. <laughs> oh, you guys are still here? Cool. Clang. <laughs> All those things could have happened, but they didn't. Too many people are stopped at their point of opportunity. They want to be changed, but at their own terms. They want to make Christ serve them instead of them serve Christ. 
here's your resolution. Not a New Year's resolution, but your life resolution. Life, and I say, when I say life, I don't mean make it now and it'll be for the rest of your life. I mean make this resolution all life long because everybody knows resolutions don't last. <laughs> but you can keep making new resolutions. Be the person God wants you to be. Do the things God wants you to do. He's already made you a new creation. You know what? Find out what that means. That's your challenge. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for the end of this year. I thank you for the start of the next. Father, let us be the people you want us to be and walk boldly with you. We pray in Jesus' name.